0: Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to go ahead and get started. It's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of fun today. And so I have something that's been on my heart for a while. I want to talk with you about it. But here's what I want to say first. Can you believe that summer is gone? It is out of here. That is that is crazy. Now technically, uh, summer—the season—is not gone, but summer—the feeling—is gone. Do you know what I mean? And so, uh, kids are back in school. Football started again, but Texas is holding on to summer by keeping it 100 degrees all the time, just to let us know that it wants it to still be summer. Here's what I was thinking: is you know that life is moving quickly when one day you wake up and pumpkin spice lattes are back. You know what I'm saying? My ladies are clapping in the room right now. It's awesome. I'm not going to lie. I like a pumpkin spice latte. But it's like it creeps up earlier and earlier every year. It's kind of, you know, like it's like next year will be July. We'll just figure it out until it's all year round. But I was thinking about pumpkin spice lattes. And the other day I was thinking uh, as I was preparing for this sermon about Christmas. And Christmas really relates to what we're going to talk about today. And Christmas is one of those things, you know, every, it's kind of just a snowball effect. You hit pumpkin spice latte season and football season, and then you roll into Thanksgiving, and then it just is, keeps on going up until December. But I was thinking about at Christmas time, just kind of the oddity of giving gifts at Christmas time. You think about for parents, parents, you guys go out and you buy these gifts. So technically they're yours because you paid for them. And sometimes you like to hold that over your kids' heads. I'm not going to say anything about that. But you bought this gift, but then you wrap it up and you mark their name on it. And then you put it under the tree. My mom used to mark on the from section like when we were like 20 years old, like Santa or Jesus. And I don't think either of those were correct. Um, But so you put it under the tree and it's designated for them here's what I was thinking about. You've already said yes to giving them the gift. Now, technically you still own it. You paid for it. But you've already said yes to giving your kids this gift. But what would happen if they woke up one Christmas morning and they got up and brushed their teeth? Nobody does that on Christmas morning. They got up and ate some pancakes, sat around, maybe started watching a Christmas story, that loop that runs on TV all day and they never touched the gifts that you'd place under the tree. What would that be like? I mean, you already said yes to giving them the gift, but they never unwrapped it and used it. And so today, I believe that there are gifts that God has given us that he has paid for, wrapped, if you're like me, you're very bad at wrapping paper, My dad was a drill instructor and so he's very precise and his wrapping job is perfect and it goes under the tree perfectly. But I believe that God has paid for certain gifts for us. He has wrapped them. He has marked our name on them, designated them for us, left them under the tree. And I believe that a lot of us haven't picked them up and opened them. And so today we're going to learn how to unwrap the presents that God has placed under the tree for us. Amen. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. God, we thank you that we get to learn about you. We thank you that we get to learn about your word, that we get to be in a church that teaches the truth of God's word. God, I thank you that we got to stand in worship just now and experience your presence. And no matter what we came in feeling like It doesn't matter what we feel, it's what Jesus did for us on the cross 2000 years ago that enables us to walk into your presence. I pray for those of us who are tired that you give us supernatural focus and energy today and strength. I pray for those of us who are distracted that you would help us to fix our eyes on you for this next 30 or 40 minutes. God, I pray for those of us who maybe came in worried that we would cast our cares on you because you care for us. And when we cast something, it means that we throw it and I don't want to go pick up what I already threw. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that for those of us who came in feeling unworthy and guilty and undeserving, the Bible says to run boldly before the throne of God's grace where we will receive mercy in time of need. So we come together today to receive from your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. So we are going to be talking about a, a sermon today called Say Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, say amen. amen. That was kind of boring. You look at your other neighbor and say, say amen. amen. Oh, there you go. That was good. So uh, when we, here's the deal, here's something I was just thinking about. When we read the Bible, a lot of times we really don't Think of these people as real people. If you're here today and you did not receive notes, we take notes here. We love to take notes. Would you raise your hands? We want to get notes in your hands. We fill in the blanks as we go along and you may be like, I didn't come here to go back to school. Well, here's the deal. Statistics show that you will remember more when you take notes. Notes And so we want to help you to do that. I, I said this last time I spoke i 've found notes not just from high school. I believe I found notes from middle school uh, within like the past year or so. Notes that I took from sermons in middle school. And in fact, there was one time uh, there have been a couple times when I really needed help in my life and so I went back and I found some notes that I had taken. One was in a sermon here, one was uh, by Somebody at a leadership conference, and I needed help in my life, so I read these notes and they helped me. That's the purpose of taking notes. It's not just to occupy your time while you're here, but it's to give you something to reference when you go home. Maybe you could even pass this on to your kids. And so we want to encourage you in that. But what I'm saying is, when we read the Bible, sometimes we forget that these are real people in the Bible. These are real situations. These were real time periods. This is not made up stuff. This is real stuff. And so today our main scripture that we're going to talk about is 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. Now, Paul was the guy that wrote this book, 2 Corinthians. And in the New Testament, a lot of the books were really letters. And so Paul is uh, somebody who used to persecute Christians. In fact, he was helping out whenever they killed the first Christian martyr. And he has this incredible, radical encounter with Jesus while he's on his way to persecute more Christians. His whole life changes and he begins to serve God. And here's what's really cool about Paul is Paul goes from being the persecutor to the persecuted, but he still serves God. I think that's amazing and so Paul is writing to this church in Corinth which was a city in Greece and he's writing to them around the year AD 57 so you can kind of get a little bit of a picture in your mind Paul was a church planner he not only planted churches but he took care of the churches he would pass through see how they were doing and basically he had told them that he was going to pass through there again but he changed his mind and he wasn't going to do it so he kind of is explaining to them, like, I didn't change my mind for no reason. Have you ever had to explain that to your kids when you had a change of plans and they're like, but you said, and you're like, listen, I know, but I didn't change the plan just to have fun and to mess with you. I changed the plan because there was something better in mind. Does that make sense? So Paul is talking with them, explaining why he changed his plans, talking about how our yes should be yes and our no should mean no. And he says this statement, and it's a small statement, but it's a powerful statement in 2 Corinthians 1.20. He says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So he says, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ Jesus. And so through him, the amen is spoken by who? By us to the glory of God. Have you ever known somebody who did not follow through on promises? Here's the deal. Some people are about to start pointing fingers or at least mentally pointing fingers. Let's talk about this. I'm not just talking about like the big life issues. I'm gonna have a catch all right here. How about this one? Um, I'm too tired to take out the trash tonight, so I'll do it tomorrow. Anybody ever been that person before? Okay, just me? All right, cool. Um, I was thinking of another one. I'm trying to remember what it was. There's tons of them though, the little things, right? I'll work out next week. I promise myself, oh yeah, that's not gonna happen. And so we know what that's like. We live in a world full of broken promises and sadly, we really kind of grow accustomed to it. It's like you can say anything and promise anything, but at the end of the day, everybody's kind of used to promises being broken. And Paul is teaching us that that's not how God operates. God doesn't operate on, well, I said I would do it, but you know, I changed my mind and I'm not gonna do it. God keeps his promises. In fact, really what Paul is teaching us, here's your first blank, is when God makes a promise, he makes good on it. Jesus is God's yes to every promise he has made. That's your second blank. And some of you know through depth of years walking with God and experiencing some serious heartaches and trials that when God makes a promise, he always comes through. That no matter how bad it looked in your marriage, God came through. No matter how bad it looked in your finances or in your physical health, God came through. No matter what kind of depression you were dealing with, God came through. My encouragement to those of you who feel that God has let you down today is God has never let you down. He always comes through. We live in a fallen world and a lot of broken, bad things happen, but God never forgets his promises. See, we often have trouble believing God's promises, but Jesus' is evidence that he will always fulfill them. Let me prove that to you in scripture. Romans eight thirty two says, he who did not spare his own son, meaning God who didn't spare Jesus from dying on the cross, but gave him up for us all. Everybody say all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? I love how this is Paul writing again. He chooses to say, but gave him up for us all. Not for those of us who were good enough or faithful enough or who looked the right way. He said he gave him up for us all. But he says, listen, if God was willing to send his one and only son to die on a cross, to take the punishment for our sins, like we read in Galatians chapter three, to take the curse for every wrong thing we had ever done. If he was willing to do that, don't you think that he's willing to come through in that other area of your life that he promised to come through in? Don't you think that he's willing to take care of your finances if you just trust him with them? Don't you think that he's willing to help you walk out these relationships if you just trust him with them? Now, granted, you can't necessarily change what other people do, but you can change what you do if you trust him. If God loved me enough to send Jesus to die for my sin, he loves me enough to be faithful to his promises. He loves me enough to be faithful to his promises. So through reading this, we know that it's kind of like when you wrap up a present and you sit it down under the Christmas tree. God has already said yes to giving us these promises. But there's a curious little statement that Paul makes that I find kind of fascinating. He says, and so through him, we say Amen. The amen is spoken to us by the glory of God. Now, we say amen all the time in church. Amen is like, amen, thank you for that. Amen is like the um or the uh of church. Does that make sense? So, uh, amen, uh, and that's kind of what you do and you just hope for the best. But amen is a Hebrew word and amen is a fascinating word. Who here speaks Spanish? Awesome. How do you say amen in Spanish? amen it's pretty easy so uh never mind i'm not gonna tell that story i was i was at. i'm gonna tell that story i was at this uh thing i think i i don't know if i led worship at it i think i might have one time in mexico and there was this lady and she was staring not at the pastor and she was just staring some other direction i don't know why uh and she every time he would say something good she would just rock and she would just go Amen, gloria a Dios, hallelujah, amen. And I was like, why aren't we looking at him when we're saying this? Like, encourage him or give him something. But that's not funny to you. That was just funny to me. So, that's okay. So, amen is a word that came from Hebrew. And they literally just took the exact word and they just placed it into the Greek when they were writing the New Testament. The New Testament church, the early church, they took that word from Hebrew directly into the Greek. And that word has been transliterated or taken directly into multiple languages, like we get it now, amen, or like amen in Spanish. It's taken almost directly from the Hebrew many times. But here's what it means in the New Testament it can be taken to mean this so be it, or may it be fulfilled. So be it, or may it be fulfilled. So get this, this scripture is teaching that God has already said yes to giving us everything he's promised us, but we're required to say something too. And what we're required to say is, so be it. So be it is what happens when you unwrap the present and accept the gift. In other words, God has already said yes to giving you and I certain things, but we've gotta pick the present up from under the tree and we've gotta unwrap it. We have to say amen. But the question is, that sounds great, that seems like a good idea, sure, I would love to unwrap the present that God has given me, but what are some practical steps that I can take to actually say, so be it? Because when you say, so be it, it's released in your life. Does that make sense? So God can say, I'm giving you this, but if you never grab it and take it, it will never fully be yours. So what are some practical steps that you and I can take to say amen, to say so be it, let it be, and to let it come into our lives? I almost started singing the song, let it be. Three practical ways to say amen. Here we go. Number one, obedience. Everybody's like, yes, I love this one. Nobody said that. Letter A, I can't receive the fullness of God's promises if I am not walking in obedience to his commands. Now you may say, well, God will still bless me because he has grace. I actually really agree with that. However, I can't walk in the fullness of God's promises if I'm not walking in obedience to his commands. And here's the thing is because his promises are accessed through obedience. Obedience is not just something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do because when we obey, it makes our life better. Letter B says, God would rather have me obey his commands than lift my hands. I'm not saying don't lift your hands and worship. I'm saying if the choice comes down to it, will I worship God but not obey or will I obey God? Let's obey God every time. Because obedience is worship. Paul said in, in Romans 12, verse one, that our act of worship is the way that we live our everyday lives. And in fact, in 1 Samuel 15, 22, Saul, King Saul, he got in trouble because he was presenting a sacrifice, like worship to God, but he wasn't actually obeying God's commands. And the prophet Samuel walked up to him and he said, obedience is better than sacrifice. We can say, God, I've served you so much. I mean, I'm faithful every week in tree kids. I'm faithful every week in the first contact ministry and the ushers and greeters. But really, are we obeying him with every area of our lives? And of course, we're all works in progress. Can I just say that today? for myself at least. We're all works in progress. In fact, one thing that I forgot to tell you is the reason I'm preaching this message today is not because I'm so great at it. It's because it's what the Holy Spirit has been teaching me. That I was like figuring these points out while I was changing a fuel pump on a car because I just was thinking about this in my own personal life. But here's the thing. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Worship really means the most when it's backed by a life of obedience. Worship is a lifestyle, not 20 minutes on a Sunday morning or 15 minutes on a Wednesday night. Jesus was the ultimate picture of obedience. The ultimate picture of obedience. But how did he learn obedience? Here's your blank in letter D, through tough times. Hebrews 5, 7 through 10 teaches us that, that Jesus learned to obey in the tough times obedience is really pretty easy until you don't want to do what you're being told to do. Like, I don't know how many of you would have issues with your kids if you were like, get in the car, we're going to get ice cream now, hurry. They run, they do what you say. But if you say, get in the car, we got to get to school, or how about this, I'm late. Don't ever use those words. They'll take longer. And so every every time you say that, then it's hard because it's something they don't want to do. I don't want to go to school. Obedience is really easy when it's something that we want to do. So what we have to do is we have to find strength. And letter E says this, the strength you need to obey God in the tough times is found in your private times of prayer. Because Nehemiah 8.10 says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And Psalm 16.11 tells us where joy comes from. So strength comes from the joy of the Lord. And the joy of the Lord in Psalm sixteen eleven it says, in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. So we get joy from his presence. Psalm 40, verse 31 says that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. We get joy from spending time in his presence and that joy becomes our strength. And we need that strength. Actually, if you read in Matthew 26, it gives the account of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he is about to be arrested, tried unfairly, and put to death unfairly for you, for my sins, and for your sins. And so Jesus is in this garden. And do you notice what he's doing in that garden? He's praying. Letter F says, Obedience is a choice. We must predetermine to do what God says no matter what. So Jesus, in his personal time of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that he's about to die a really painful death, and not because he deserved it, but quite frankly because I deserved it and you deserved it, he makes a choice in the garden. And he says, basically, God, if there's any other way, I just want you to know I'm okay with that. But if this is it, then I will obey what you want me to do, and I'll do it. Jesus makes a predetermined choice to obey God no matter what, right in the middle of a time of prayer. In the presence of God is where we learn to obey. In fact, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fun names to say, if you want to give your kids a name that nobody can pronounce, just give them that, they... um, They were gonna be thrown into a furnace because things worked way differently in ancient times because they wouldn't worship a golden statue. And you know what their response was? Listen, we know our God will save us, but even if he doesn't save us, we're gonna obey him no matter what. Obedience is a choice that no matter what I face in life, I'm going to obey. It's predetermined. Here's a great truth for all of us to remember. When God asks me to obey in a difficult situation, it is always for my benefit. When God asks me to obey, when it's tough to do so, he's always doing that for my benefit. Here's what it says in Hebrews 12 verses 9 and 11. I'm going to go through this pretty quick. It says, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. Now, let me say this. I understand some of us have experienced fatherlessness and some of us have also experienced homes in which fathers were abusive. And this is not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about in a healthy home environment. You respect your earthly father for uh, the way that they discipline you. And it says, how much more should we submit to the father, meaning God, of spirits and live? They, meaning earthly fathers, disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Can somebody say amen to that? But painful later on. However, it produces a harvest. Say harvest. Of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Letter H. Disobedience brings short term pleasure and protection, while obedience produces long term peace, security, and righteousness. Disobedience is short sighted. And I I love this about God. You can tell that God is telling the truth because He says things like Discipline is not fun for a while and it'll pay off in the end. Or he says things like sin is fun for a little while, but then it won't pay off in the end. I know that God's not telling me stories if he's that blunt about it. Listen, what I'm telling you not to do is gonna be really fun for a while. And what I'm telling you to do is gonna be really painful for a while. But trust me, if you do what I say, it's gonna work out well for you. That's one of the ways I know that I can truly trust in him because he's upfront about it. The simple truth of it all is this, letter I, obedience positions me to receive God's best for my life. And it's not just about that because receiving God's best for my life is awesome, but receiving God's best for my life enables me to be a blessing to other people. I'm blessed so that I can bless others. Think on this, obedience is a product of trusting that God's plan and vision are better than our schemes and dreams. There's a difference between a plan and a scheme. It's the difference between a vision and a dream. And God has a vision and a, a vision for your life and a plan for your life. Number two: stewardship. Stewardship. Now this is a really funny word that we don't throw around as much in everyday life. But let's define it. I just went online to Merriam-Webster's website. It says, the conducting, supervising, or managing of something, especially the careful and responsible management of something entrusted, say entrusted, to one's care. Stewardship starts with the attitude that everything we have comes from God. So he gets to decide how it should be used. Psalm 24, 1 says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. One cool thing about God is I believe that He trusts us to make good decisions with His stuff. That shows you that He's not lording over you in a sense of like dominating you and just trying to control you. He's partnering with you. Yes, He's in charge, but He's giving you freedom to make choices. That's what love really is. Let us see there are two types of sins. Sins of commission and sins of omission. A sin of commission is exactly what it sounds like. You committed a sin. You did something wrong. But a sin of omission is dangerous and I think sometimes easier to fall into. It's I didn't do something that God wanted me to do. There's a fantastic book uh, by Mark Batterson called In a Pit with a Lion on the Snowy Day where he talks about that concept. What about the things that God told me to do and I didn't do? What about the dreams God's placed in my heart that I didn't fulfill because I was too worried about it? That would be omission. Letter D, it's not just a sin to use your gift for selfish reasons. It's a sin to not use your gift if God wants it and is asking you to do something to use it. There's a typo in there. Sorry about that but it's not just a sin to use your gift for the wrong reasons. And I think we can all think of examples of people who we would say, judging by what we see, are using their gift for the wrong reasons or the wrong motives or whatever that may be. But the challenge is we find it easy to judge people who are doing that, but how many of us are not using the gifts that God's placed inside of us? And instead of using them for something bad, we're just letting them be dormant. I can prove that to you through Matthew 25. Jesus tells a story, and I'm gonna kind of abbreviate it for you, where a master is going to a faraway land for a little while. So he leaves and he takes three of his servants and he gives them some money. He gives them one five talents of silver and one two talents of silver and one one talent of silver. Now, a talent is a measurement. I'll tell you what it means in a little bit. But suffice it to say, One guy got more, one guy got less. So he gives them this measurement of money, each of them, and he leaves. And the Bible says something really interesting. It says that two of the guys, the guy with the five talents, the guy with the two talents, they invest the money and they get a return on it. So the guy with five, he gets five more, now it's 10. The guy with two, he gets two more and now it's four. But the guy who was given one talent buries it in the ground because he's like, I don't want to lose it. And I think, honestly, you and I would probably say, if somebody trusted me with their money, I wouldn't invest it. I would just kind of put it in my pocket and keep it safe until they came back. But here's what happens. The master comes back and the master asks them, where's the money? And the guy with the five comes back and he says, hey, I doubled it. I invested it. I doubled it. I got 10 for you. He's like, amazing job. You know what? I'm going to give you even more. And the guy with two comes back and he's like, I doubled it too. And he gives him even more. And the guy with one comes back and he says, Listen, I knew you're a hard man and you reap where you haven't sown. Basically, he's like, I know that you take stuff that's not even yours. So I just buried it in the ground because I didn't want you to get mad at me. It's kind of what he's saying. And the master says, Hey, you're a wicked servant. That's pretty tough. I don't know how many of us have been at work recently and the boss is like, You're wicked. <laughs> I don't think that's good. And he says, Here's the deal. If you thought I was so mean, then you could have at least just put it in the bank instead of putting it in the dirt and let it collect interest for me. And really, I believe what Jesus is saying, and I was reading about this, he was saying, this is, this is Jesus. Jesus is compared to the master in this story. And Jesus is really saying, hey, listen, you don't even know me because I'm not harsh like that. In fact, I'm not asking you to just take care of stuff, I'm asking you to partner with me, develop the gift that I've given you, and use it for the kingdom of God. Because here's the thing, we can say, well, the guy with five, he must have been so capable, because the Bible says that he gave according to his ability. So he must have been so capable, because he got five, and this guy, I mean, he only got one, so maybe he just wasn't very good at it. But a talent is 75 pounds of silver. So I looked it up the other day, And you can compare it to whatever you want back then. But in today's terms, that's $24,000. And he just said, here's 24 grand. uh, Just keep it safe till I come back. This guy was clearly very talented. Well, that was a really bad joke. I didn't even mean to make that. This guy was clearly very skilled. That came out solely wrong. He was clearly very skilled. And he knew how to handle things, but he chose not to do it. And it wasn't, hey, good job, you preserved what you had. It was, listen, you never developed what I gave you. Because I didn't want to just be a master to rule over you. I wanted to partner with you to develop this and to expand my kingdom. Here's a thought for all of us. Sometimes we pray for more blessings when what we really need is to steward the blessings God has already given us. Like sometimes we say, well, my gift's not that important. I I just wish I had a different gift. And maybe God would say, well, I would like for you to use the gift that I've given you first. Because I valued it enough to give it to you. I mean, the cheapest gift that he gave in that story was 75 pounds of silver. I think that's intentional. Intentional. And sometimes we may say, well, God, I, this is going to be tough, so you're going to have to bear with me on this, okay? Sometimes we, say, we may say, well, God, what about my finances? God, I need more finances. And God would say, well, are you stewarding it in line with the word? And this is what people really sometimes we don't want to hear, but am I giving, am I tithing, am I giving 10% of my increase to God? Maybe in the area of our health and this again is really tough but sometimes we are praying for God to bless us but we're not doing things in the natural that position us to walk in the blessing. You know how I know? Because I've done it. And sometimes I still do it because donuts are good. (laughs) Sometimes in the spiritual we're praying and asking God for another revelation and to teach us something else and I love what Pastor Don says. He says, what about the last time God taught you something? Did you do anything with it? You know in songwriting, Sometimes we talk about we want to write a song, but did we finish the last one that God gave us? I think that's true in a lot of areas of life. There's a process to stewardship. Number one, God entrusts me with a gift. Number two, I steward or manage the gift to the best of my ability. And number three, he rewards me with even more gifts to manage. Do you notice the guy, he gave them according to their ability. So he gave one guy five according to his ability, one guy two, one guy one. They multiplied it, By five, or he got five more, he got two more, and then that guy got nothing else. He didn't expect them to do more than they were capable of. God gives a gift. I do what I'm capable of doing according to my ability, increase it by five or increase it by two, whatever that is, and then God gives me more. A gift is useless or even destructive if it's not managed well. Your gift could haunt you if you never develop it because you could realize, man, I should have developed that. Challenge to you, find what it is that you're not developing and use it because the body of Christ needs you. If you think you've got a one talent gift, I, you know, that really doesn't matter. 75 pounds of silver is nothing to laugh at you may think you've got a one talent gift, but God may say, well, you may think you have a one talent gift, but if you increase it by one, then I'll give you more. And then you increase that. And then you increase that. You're going to continue to grow and it's going to grow my kingdom. Just because you think, well, I don't really have any gift to sing on stage or preach. I mean, I just don't know. That's not what this is all about. You know, the guy that led me to Jesus was a janitor at my church. That is powerful. That's powerful. think on this, God can't entrust me with more until I'm faithful with what he's already given. I'm going to go through this one pretty quick. Number three, faith. There's a reason I save this for last. I can't receive from God if I don't believe he is willing and able to deliver on his promises. Like When your kids wake up on Christmas morning, they are going to believe that you put presents out for them, you know? They have a sense in their heart that their parents cared enough to buy some presents. Now, I understand some people don't do presents. I also understand there's tough times where you can't even find the money to buy a present. And that's a real thing. But you do get what we're saying is that your your kids understand that you're willing to do something great for them. I think faith is a deep subject, but sometimes we overcomplicate it. The simplest explanation of faith is trust. I won't obey God or steward his gifts right if I don't trust him. Either that or I'll do it out of fear because I'm scared of punishment. And the Bible says in 1 John that fear involves torment. It means that we're scared of being punished. That's not how God operates. God disciplines. He does not punish. Not as kids. Let us see. Trust is built through relationship and consistency. So, there's two truths about God in these following blanks. Number one, on the subject of relationship and consistency, God always pursues a relationship with me. Psalm 23 6. Goodness and mercy pursue me all the days of my life. You can run from God, but He's right behind you because He's really fast. Number two, God never changes. Numbers 23, 19 says, God isn't a man that he should lie. And Hebrews 13, 8, if you want something in in the New Testament, says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Trust is built on relationship and consistency. And God's really, really perfect at both of those. So we can trust him. Now, for some of us, letter E, it's easy to believe that God loves us. That's your blank but it's really hard to believe that he's powerful enough to fix the situation. For other people, it's easy to believe that God is all powerful, yet hard to believe that he loves us enough to do anything about our situation. Does that make sense? And I think we kind of mix the two together a lot of times. They kind of flow together. I don't think he really loves me enough to do that. And besides, I don't even think if he did, he'd be powerful enough to fix what I messed up or what someone did to me. Number one, identify which of these concepts you struggle with and combat it by spending time with God through the word, through prayer, through worship. You've gotta fight sometimes to make sure that your mind is thinking the right thing. Get what's in your spirit into your mind and out of your mouth. Letter G, this is important. Faith is more than wishful thinking. It has substance, substance. Hebrews 11, in the Amplified says this. Now faith is the assurance. Check this out. It says the title deed, the confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen. It's the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. You can't tell me that I don't own my car if I have the title. When we have faith, we have the title to what God has promised us. When we walk in trust and in faith in God, we declare, God, I believe it in Jesus' name. It says, and when faith says, if God has promised it, then it's already mine in Jesus' name. Faith truly believes that if God makes a promise, he'll make good on it. Now think on this, and this is a tough one. Our trust in God is an outflow of what we believe about his character. There's a famous quote that says, what a man believes about God is the most important thing about him. My trust in God is an outflow of what I believe about his character. Do I really believe he's a good, good father like I sang about? Do I really believe that he is greater and stronger? Ask yourself this week, what promises do I need to say amen to in my life? Is God asking me to grow in one of these areas in order to receive the promises he's already said yes to giving me? Here's the deal. God can't, we can't receive the promises of God if we're not walking in obedience because obedience opens the door for the blessing. And according to that parable in Matthew 25, we can't be trusted with more blessings if we haven't been faithful with the ones that we've already been given. Now God in his grace will bless us with more, but we're never gonna reach the fullness of what he's intending to give to us. And the big one is we can't really honestly receive the blessing of God if we don't believe that he is either able to give it to us in the first place or that he wants to give it to us. Faith, the substance of things that we cannot see. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church